Welcome to a very special episode of the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, a podcast where we talk with local artists and administrators about local culture, local art, and everything in between. Enjoy the ride. There's a place mommy takes me every week so I can get some books. Oh, I love to read. I can play with computers and see my friends. I can build with the blocks and play pretend. They have a lizard. His name is Spike. So many, many things I really like. But sometimes people give me dirty looks as they peek at me when they're reading books. I think there might be something wrong with me. Cause I like being loud in the library. I like being loud. I like being loud. I like being loud in the library. Daddy takes me when we don't have school. They have so many things that I find so cool. So many fun things that you can see. And did you know that it's all free? You can use some crayons and color a page or two. And the people who work there are so nice to you. But sometimes people give me dirty looks As they peek at me when they're reading books I think there might be something wrong with me Cause I like being loud in the library I like being loud, I like being loud I like being loud Josh, remember Josh. when you're in the library, remember. you need to control your voice. There are other people here trying to read quietly, and Josh, 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 stop it. Stop it. Stop all this foolishness. These shenanigans cannot continue. A library is a place for scholarship. Uh, I love being loud in the library. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. This week, we have a super fun conversation between Matt Mulchaney and Josh Burke. Josh Burke is the Executive Director of the Bethlehem Area Public Library. 
Josh comes from a family of librarians and has very deep roots in the Lehigh Valley. In addition to being a librarian, Josh is also an author. His first book for young adults, The Dark Days of Hamburger Halpin, was set in a high school in PA coal country and was placed on several best of lists. His first book for younger readers, Strike Three, You're Dead, allowed for him to write about his passion for baseball. It was a finalist for the prestigious Edgar Awards presented by the Mystery Writers of America. In addition to writing, Josh is also a musician and plays bass in the band Fictional Name. When he's not working, writing, or playing, he's fanboying on Instagram over the new face of the Lehigh Valley punk rock scene, Chloe the Chug. Alongside Josh on this episode is Matt Mulchaney, the seasoned sound engineer who started Tape Swap Radio and owned Shard's Recording Studio in Southside Bethlehem. Matt is also a member of the bands Voix Voix and Wipes. All right, back at you with jazz and noises. With Josh and the Chain. <laughs> Josh and the Chain. <laughs> I just Paul Chaney made me think of the Chain. The Chain, no, it's great. It's always some something t- in the Chain. Something and something, right? Something yeah, and something. Something and the, so- the like something. A dude and a noise. A dude and the noise. <laughs> Dude in the noise. Is that what I said? I meant to say a dude in a thing. A dude in the thing. Hey, guys, you listen to a dude in a thing with, with the noise in the chain. <laughs> so I'm just an object. No, we're both objects. I'm the so. noise. You're the chain. It's like Bear Man and Keith. Oh, they said Josh in the chain. I did. But then I changed myself to the noise. Mm. The noise in the chain. I want to be the noise. All right. But you're more chainy. <sighs> it's got chain in it. Yeah, that leaves... Mm. It's a rough one. Yeah. Yo, here we are. Here we are on the radio. Josh, we're on a podcast. Oh, There's this new thing. Oh, a podcast. It's probably been out for maybe a couple weeks now. Cool. Something well, like I'm that. excited to be Two part of it. I just joined Instagram. <laughs> Join the movement. Um, <laughs> Instagram has also been out for about five weeks. Predated podcast by a couple weeks. I'm a late adopter. <laughs> Yeah, Josh has a great new Instagram account about a about a dog, and you snapped enough pictures in one night to yeah. just keep that thing yeah. rolling for three weeks now. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. We had a show at the library where it was like we called it a pop up show because I didn't do any advanced advertising, so that's why pop up show sounds cool, like you did on purpose. But we actually had a good turnout. We had a, bu- we had a bunch of punk bands and and stuff uh, playing super loud. Uh, right in the plaza out front of the main library, and it sounded awesome. Like yeah, it was the, great. Yeah, this like the sort of crazy acoustic, just the square of it. It sounded cool. Yeah, it was like just just enough space between everything and a nice ledge, so stuff didn't just kind of pile up and sound all echoey. Yeah, and everything. It sounded sounded really good. And then that was the craziest dog we've ever seen. This small albino Chihuahua pug mix, mm-hmm. who's like. So she's very old. She's like was wearing a pink party dress, and her tongue was like dragging on the ground because she has no teeth, so her tongue doesn't stay in her mouth. And she's kind of deaf, so she's like perfect punk rock. Like, mm-hmm. Great show, for a great for a punk show. Show dog, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was the funniest looking dog I've ever seen. So I took like a million pictures of it, and then for some reason I had to. I don't, I don't know that I had to. I wanted to communicate with someone who was like, oh, send me a message on Instagram, and I was like, I can't keep saying I don't have an Instagram. Like it's. Mm-hmm been out for like five weeks now i gotta get on there so i signed up for one and then when you start one and you just you just hit your thing it just shows what the last and all my pictures were of this dog so i'm like i'm just gonna post a picture a day of this dog who because i thought it was funny and yeah everyone was like 
loving everyone like I know well, loves it. I mean, you know what's really cool about it to tie it into like local stuff is like that became the flyer for the next <laughs> Ice House show. Yes. There's like a new committee of kids yeah. who I'm like kind of mentoring and helping out with who are yeah. doing shit at the Ice House now. Yeah. Just doing stuff at the Ice House now. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. uh, that be- they, they became obsessed with the dog too. Uh, you're posting it like pretty much every day since then. And yep. there's still all these new pictures of it too. Yeah. I feel like it's creating like a an identity around itself. And so we, It's the punk rock dog. It's, it, it's the spirit really of Bethlehem punk rock right now. And so let me tell you this. So Dan, uh, so there's like so many dudes named Dan, but Dan, who is the drummer for Raid and also the guitarist for Polichak. Carousel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he saw the picture of the dog and he was like, Josh, that's my boss's dog. <laughs> so he, I was like, oh, I hope she's okay with me posting on pictures of it. And he was like, well, that the one the person who was with it was his daughter, but I'm like, he, and then so he tagged her, and so Chloe is the dog's name. Chloe the Chug has her own Instagram. Oh, she does. Yeah, she already has her own Instagram. Yeah, but mine is far surpassed. This is it's amazing because no she's offense. an old dog, but she, <laughs> she just I, hopped right on Instagram yeah, five weeks yeah, ago. She's a real hip dog. <laughs> she's gotten onto this trend immediately, and. She's a chug, which is a hilarious word because she's a chihuahua pug. Yeah, uh, and also a verb now. A chug. I made a shirt that says "Keep on chugging," and it's got her <laughs> face on it and her tongue like, like a, it's like a Rolling Stones tongue. It's so rock and roll. And then, <laughs> and then, I, so I connected with Dan's uh, family, the Dan's boss's family, who like this is their family dog, and like all of their like once one of them like tagged me in it like their family lives all over and so now all of them are also following it and like mm-hmm. cheering it on so then my band yes we're bringing it in mm-hmm. fictional name for which i play bass has a show at um unangst tree farm uh on august 10th i think it's a week from wednesday where is that it's just it's like um just north of the of bethlehem off 512 yeah on yeah 512. okay yep, on 512. Yeah, there's a couple Tree farms up that way. Uh, the one is no longer open, but Unangst is there. So people get their Christmas trees there and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the people who want it just wanted to do something kind of fun in the summer because I think their Christmas season is their big season. So they invited a bunch of like food trucks to come. Um, so they have a huge number of food trucks, and then they started inviting bands. So um, someone sent the link to me, and I was like, "Yeah, I want to play a tree farm. It seems fun." Yeah, that really just makes me really happy. I live in this area. That <laughs> the library director who was throwing <laughs> pop up punk shows and made a shirt of a dog that was at the pop up punk show made this dog the identity for local punk rock is also playing yeah. this sh- punk show at the yeah. tree farm with food trucks. And so get this, I asked Chloe's owner if she would come to the show mm-hmm. to the tree farm so people could meet her in person. She said yes. Oh wow! So she's going to be there. Oh shoot! Personal appearance. Wow! Chloe's going to. No one's going to care about the band at oh, all. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> I, I'm just fine with me. I do not care. But Chloe's going to be there in her party dress, signing autographs. This is probably going to be the most well attended <laughs> local show. It'll be the biggest thing I've ever been part of by far. People are not <laughs> usually interested in hearing my music. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's exciting, and I am uh, happy to also just tell the story. Matt's been part of Studio 11 at the library since its inception. Who knows how many years it's been? Time is bizarre. Yeah, the 2020 made 2018 yeah. feel like we it was like a week m- ago. Right? I mean, that was back before. I'm going to keep this going, but that was back before Instagram, I think. <laughs> that was way That's back. That's how I, you know, I mark everything off. I posted it on my live journal, <laughs> and people were like, yes, I'm going to go to this. And... Yeah, so we have a recording studio in the Bethlehem Area Public Library. Yeah, free public use. Free public yeah. recording studio that has uh, an amazing number of 
uh, musicians and artists and podcasters and all sorts of like cool stuff happening. There were a ton of rappers in there. I always go down there and like just listen to the rap tracks that were like recorded on. I'm always like mm -hmm. psyched about that. I'm yeah, that's like, it's so cool. I'm There's so like, much connected to it. And I was like, I'm in a library right now. <laughs> well, that's it, I was just talking to April today. We were walking around downtown and I was like, you know, like this used to be where I found out about shows. Like I, I played at Scarlett O'Hara's, which was next to the Boyd, which all that's gone now. And there's yeah. a record store. So you would see flyers for other places. You'd see zines. Yep. Like you'd see little handbills for other shows at other venues. And you'd see these band names. You don't know who they are. And you want to figure out where are they, where are they? These people are speckled about everywhere. And now that stuff's at the library. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The punk shows are at the library. The punk flyers are at the library. Like yeah. an archive of local vinyl and stuff is at the library, a free studio, a hub like that's at the library i think it's incredible yeah i am psyched, so psyched about it and really just sort of felt together and some of it really is because there's just so many cool people around here mm -hmm. um some of this was came to be because of um some of our friends at lehigh who were active in the i always forget the name i think it was called the south side initiative um and that was like a group of professors <laughs> and lehigh faculty who were like Really interesting, like funding cool stuff. Like one of them, they were like, "There's too much money up on the hill. We gotta get it down." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "We will take it." Good point. <laughs> like, yeah, roll it down to us. We will take it down here. So they recommended that we apply for this Mellon grant to to do a public humanities project. And um, Mary Foltz, the uh, is an English professor, an awesome lady over there. High. She said to me, she was like, "This was several years ago." She said, "Like, do you remember when you said you wanted to put a recording studio in the library?" And I was like, no, I don't remember saying that at all. <laughs> like, I say a lot of stuff. Like, I get a lot of ideas, and I'm just like, I just get hyper about one of them, and then I, sometimes it comes to pass, and sometimes I forget about it. But I must have mentioned it to her. I have no idea when or why or where I would have mentioned it to her, but I was like, that sounds like me. <laughs> and I had read about public recording studios, because there are well, we some. We talked about it yeah. way back then. Yeah. I remember I yeah. literally started hoarding gear for that. Yeah. And I was like, adjust it, like, oh, yeah. well, I'll keep this might, in case the library needs it eventually. And we read, there was a big, um, there was like a, Chicago had this called like U Media Lab that was like a big inspiration, and then um, Brooklyn has one, and like a couple mm -hmm. giant cities around. Yeah, yeah, the and like Seattle has one too. Yeah. I think Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah, and then it's now it's come to a couple other places, but we were really pretty early. And then so I I remembered being interested in it, but then I had no idea that the funding would come together so fast. And then and then we needed someone to like help us actually set up the studio. So so Matt and April came in and like just started hanging. Yeah. Whatever those things are called. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still not a very technical person. <laughs> Everyone's like, you own a, you run a studio. You should know what a microphone's called. Nah, you don't need to. I was like, it's called a to. microphone. Yeah, it's fine. You're fine. I wouldn't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, we started hanging the hanging the gear. and uh, I think what was really cool, too, is that like I kind of put the call out to a bunch of people um, for donations for it. Yeah. And people went buck. People like went People crazy. were showing up every day. You, I remember I was at work, and you were like, someone just dropped off a, two snare drums again? <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know about this one. It was <laughs> like the day you posted, before I even had told any of my colleagues at the library, which I think is so funny because someone, you, like, I didn't even have a chance to tell you. Yes. It, like, I was like, are you in the car with snare drums? Because they just showed up at the desk and someone, they buzzed me in my office. They're like, someone's here with a couple of snare drums. I was like, okay. I'm like, they probably know Matt because we were talking about collecting gear. Because at first the idea was just like, well, the grant funded the mixing board and the mics and the, and then it was like, you bring your own equipment. And mm -hmm. then immediately people are like, no, we're going to make this like a full yeah, yeah. just come in and play so i, I feel like there, you know then there's some stake in it too when you get people kind of giving stuff to it and feeling really good about 
yeah. having given something yeah. like this one guy Chris who donated the PA system that like yeah. is gonna get kind of like tucked away now probably he was super stoked to be able to give that he used that as his DJ rig for yeah. for years and stuff like that and he was everybody. really happy to give that to that and he yeah. asked about how's the studio going a lot. yeah you know right. what I mean people are invested yeah and a lot of musicians like have sentimental attachment to them it's same with books really like you can't mm -hmm. throw them away mm -hmm. like you're like i gotta find some. and so people were so happy to have somewhere to put it so yeah so quickly we ended up with all these instruments all these like crazy effects people brought in like mm -hmm. this little library of effects pedals yeah like, it's so cool like people came out of the woodwork and like after they dropped it for like Hey, old friend, uh, just dropped off like a, a mega distortion and a heavy metal pedal. There. Yes, I'm like, that heavy great. metal pedal brings back memories just looking at it. The red one, right? I Is it that one? So... The DOD? Yeah. See, I'm not very technical. Yeah. <laughs> it says, wait, there's one that says metal zone. Metal zone. Oh, you get a metal zone too. That's a classic. <laughs> That's the one that like reminds me of like <laughs> suburban oh, basements, 1990s. Yep. Suburban basement. <laughs> Terrible sound. <laughs> oh, it was, it was the best sound. It was so great. Shout out to Rich Kovacs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he has a broken metal zone on his pedal board. He definitely he had a bloody the foot on first it. metal zone that I've heard. <laughs> oh, now it's got a bloody foot on it. That's pretty great. Well, you're right. That is, that really is the best sound because, like, then discovering that stuff, that, like, nothing felt like that exactly. initial, like, ah, I'm exactly. making noise I'm, and it's feeding back. And, like, yes. this feels like what my body wants to do as a teenager. It wants to explode everywhere and yeah. go nuts, you know? And when you see bands on stage and they're doing that and then you're like, no, I'm doing this. I'm doing that too. I'm just like, as soon as I learned to play power chords, I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't need to learn anything. Oh else. yeah, once I, I was playing "Baby I Love Your Way" in like 1993, <laughs> took me like a week to be able to play chords. It was that that something mountain version. It was like a reggae version of it or something. Yeah, I know it. Remember that? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get the jam. F bar chord. Everything oh. else was open chords, yeah, which were pretty yeah. easy. When yeah. I got to the F, I was like. Oh God, this is terrible! I don't know if I can. Uh, I'm gonna do guitar. Then it clicked, and I could play power chords, and I stopped learning immediately. <laughs> Any other types of songs. Yeah, yeah. Like that's. I never I learned, took guitar lessons or anything. I, I just learned, gave I up there. I learned the fast part of of um, Stairway to Heaven <laughs> on a uh, <laughs> giant, like acoustic electric with like a super wide neck. That was like, the first thing I learned to play. Oh man, like a jazz guitar. Yes, and so that F is really hard. Yep, that's the one. Learned, that's exactly. That's exactly. The one. It's the same. So once I learned. Yeah, let us bring guitars in here. So. Oh shit! Where is it? Oh, I still can't do it. That was so hard. It's still hard. It's still hard. Yeah, I gave up after that moment. And then you became a drummer. Yeah. Yeah, and I had played drums since I was really young already, off and on, and uh, that was just so I could torture a guitar into writing songs and doing my doing my writing bidding, you know what I mean? Mm. I just wanted to get ideas out with that, and once I got power chords down, that's all I needed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's what kept me in the basement through most of my teenage years was being able to write stuff on this instrument and get together with friends, and le I learned how to record because of that, too. You know, we didn't have a ton of money. No one had a, no one had a ton of money. We had four tracks and if whatever you, lucky, you could, you, 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 could you could use. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or or you know, and there were times where I had like a boombox, yes, or something like that, and record onto a boombox, play the boombox back at another boombox. Exactly. <laughs> I was talking thing. to Bill and Tom about this. The same thing it was like, Duh. and then and then your mom would like move the boombox. You're like, oh, like, you got it like in the perfect <laughs> spot in the corner, and to be like at a certain angle. <laughs> that was like our recording setup. Was, oh, that's like, great. Just to get that in there, and yeah, and the drummers were always too loud though. That was. That's... I mean, everything was always too loud. <laughs> it just sounded like total yeah. chaos. Was, yeah, but it was great. Yeah, it was, it was fun. 
And that led, like, honestly, that led me to, like I was saying, like, I, because of Scarlet's and, like, getting those flyers, discovering what zines are, getting faux zine, which was, like, a huge thing around here. And that guy, this guy Frank Faux, did a, a zine in the area about some local stuff, but he also wrote about the punk music, punk bands, punk people, punk ethos, all that stuff. And he was sending those around the world, really. He was, like, he started when he was, like, he was pretty well known. He was, like, 13. Yeah. And he was, like, I'm going to write up letter to like uh the circle jerks or whoever uh-huh. like and just like he would he would that's how it started like he would and he would just write these like he was such like a he has such like a um archivist tendency for like a young you know when he was yeah, young yeah. and like in that scene like you didn't think it was gonna but he saved everything and then and yeah he started these uh he started his own zine and then yeah that was like well um get the hell out that like cd that he put out mm-hmm. in 1990 two or three that was like that was like the first time i was like oh like this is music's all from here like i couldn't believe it like, yeah I, I, it's such I, an important moment to somebody y- yeah you know what i mean like you you just have it snaps into you this sense of like place yeah you know and like i could i could it's like exciting but scary because like i could i could maybe i could maybe do this yeah <laughs> like like not to think i'm gonna be great at it but like these guys like and on that album that cd it starts with the guy he's forthright i think they're in the basement and their dad's yelling at <laughs> and it's like turn that that's shit. perfect it's perfect <laughs> so i was like oh these guys are just weirdos in their basement yeah, also just like us <laughs> and now they're dorks a, like us and now they're on a cd yeah and that was super exciting and then all i wanted to do was like was make music and um yeah figure out how to do creative stuff um and it made me always want to foster that too in some way. Like, I started trying to book shows then and trying to get bands to come from other places to come play here. So, like, I started doing that when I was, like, 15. Like, I, we ended up talking to some band that, because of Scarlet's, we met, and, like, we had them come up and play a show that we did, like, oh, man, it was, like, uh, where was it? Off of Black River Road. There's, like, a community center for wherever that is oh, out wow. there. And, like, we booked a show and just got bands. Actually, one of them was the Atomic Chickens. Yeah. We got the Atomic Chickens and this band from way out there, like out by Hamburg almost, PA. Oh, wow. Yeah, like way out there. And it made me want to connect the dots like that from like when I was younger. Then I got Book Your Own F in Life. Do you remember that? Of course. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a resource that like, there's not much like this now. I mean, people kind of, you know, you have to do a lot of work to figure out what's going on wherever. This was a book, a physical book that had maximum rock and roll from the maximum rock and roll put out. Yeah, yeah. this uh, another big zine. Um, they put out this book that was a resource that had anything from venue to promoter to band to info shop, which was kind of like an anarchist's info place, communist info shop sometimes. Food not bombs. Just yeah. a list for anything going on that was counterculture, really. Yeah, and you could book a tour across the whole country. And I, because, I did. Yeah. They did an online version of that, and then the 2000s, I toured the country because of that. Yeah. And I'm still mixing bands that I met 15 years ago from that who are still doing stuff. That is incredible. And obviously, it is easier, like, because of the internet to find everything but in a way like it's harder because it's harder and i feel like there was that it was all right it was in one spot there's less of those moments yeah i mean i'm not a kid <laughs> but there's i feel like there's less of those moments where it clicks <laughs> like that to me. you know what i mean like <laughs> yes it was awesome and yeah around here i don't know i just think it's like um the perfect size kind of town because it's like big enough mm-hmm. that like 
there's I have some theories too. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to find, well, I think like if you, you, I, I think if you would take like a New York or a Jersey city and look at like, I think one thing is how many college radio stations you have around you mm. to, with this many people. Like I, I know people who live in a bigger cities and even when I was in LA, there's like still one college radio station I yeah. listen to here. I mean, at least back then there's, yeah. you know, Lafayette even has a little thing, but there's LVR and then MUH does like really good shows right. and stuff like that. They have good shows on campus too. Lehigh had Green Day play yeah. way back in the day. I was there. Yeah, you were at that show. <laughs> I was there at the stage door. North right Weston, I think. Weston. Yeah. Chainsaw Kittens. Uh, I don't yeah. remember that. That was right before Green Day got huge. But that we were in a market where not right. only is it a medium market where those bands might play on the way up, but like we have access to all this underground music by way of this college radio scene, which is usually people who either live here who are into underground stuff or college yeah. students who are really into music. And I think there's like a synergy there yeah. where it kind of fosters something special here. I think that's part of it. I think I that's my theory is that's a little piece of it. Yeah. I never really thought about how, um, I want to know where that was. <laughs> yeah. I want to know what's up. Is yeah. it the water? There's always people doing cool shit here. Yeah. Cool stuff here. And I they, don't know. Sorry about that. I don't know if you're allowed to curse matter. on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> Can you curse on Instagram? Hello? Instagram? <laughs> Are we on Instagram now? Hey, hey Siri. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we were up. Uh, yeah, I know. I figured. I'm just... We were pretending we're just, that you were Instagram. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're pretending this is a radio, that we think this is the radio, and then also it's Instagram, <laughs> and that we don't know how any of it works. This is what my dad would think, it's honestly. It's not far off from... <laughs> Oh, good. I Thank am you. 46 years old. Uh, that's like an, I don't know why. That's like an age where like, I really feel like, okay. Cause like when I meet like young, when I meet people like in their twenties <laughs> or whatever, who are like in, uh, who are cool. Like that's often when you are involved in like the art scene, you're always kind of, it keeps you young in a way. Cause Yo, there's yeah. a lot of young people who are into it and who are coming up and stuff. And, um, so like I, end up meeting a lot of young musicians and through the studio or through booking shows at the library or through performing with them or whatever. And like, just recently I'm like, I am your parents age. Yeah. <laughs> like I am, I still think of myself as like my twenties weren't that long ago, but it's like, not only were they, but I am the age of your parents. Yeah. You're getting further and I'm further away in the minute. your parents. So <laughs> I'm feeling super old in the past. Uh, that happened, that happened at a wife's first show. Hmm. Uh, Miles from Food Truck introduced me to his mom, and I was like, Do we go <laughs> You're my age. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have this crazy thing in, in um, my, the band I'm playing with now, fictional name. Our singer is 18 years old, which mm -hmm. is like, I'm literally like, I think I'm older than her mom. <laughs> and it's just so, but this is a great thing that happened in the studio, and also that I think wouldn't happen in a bigger city. Because, like, there's so many people to choose from. And, like, I think this, it's, like, big enough that there's, like, a lot of artsy weirdos. Mm -hmm. But small enough that, like, you find each other and you don't have, like, endless uh, choices, like, in a good way. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, yeah, I heard you, that, you have to just, you know, they're not overwhelmed by choice. Yeah, you and you might end something. up, someone who's not exactly like you might end up being in your band. So it pushes you, you into weirder directions, yeah, too. because yeah, you're just no, like, well, we're both, like... And as opposed to, you know, yeah, if you live in New York or whatever, you could just be like, I want someone who plays, you know, yeah. nine, 90s era. Yeah, and you end up just cycling through people yeah, who they, just do what you want them to do yeah. or something like Instead that. Instead of people who have totally different backgrounds and you end up connecting with them. Mm-hmm. This 
writer uh, Daniel Ralston. He's actually from the kind of from the area, and he like has been in LA for a long time. He wrote for Bandcamp for a while for their like the online uh, the Bandcamp Daily. Oh, yeah. You ever seen that sure. or whatever? And he did a feature thing. That I read kinda, about Volvo on there. Yeah, so he did a thing on that, and like um, he talked about the Valley a lot because I talked about the Valley a lot in the thing, and um, he kind of had this comment that like bands come out of here more fully realized than mm. a bigger city where you kind of just you have that urge to kind of like latch on to some newest trendy thing or you see some bands drawing so you kind of want to sound like them or something like that yeah. you kind of just get lost in the slog here and you just do it for the sake of doing it which i completely agree with at least for april and i like yeah. that's what we do and with wipes like anything i do like that i'm just here doing it and like keeping my head down and just working at it and working at it. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to be anything. I'm not trying to be cool. I'm not trying to be hip. I just do what I do. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was reading something about, it makes me think about, I was reading something about, uh, okay, two totally different bands, but the same story. One was the the Wu-Tang and Mm -hmm. one was Devo. And so Wu-Tang is from um, Staten Island. Island. And like, they were totally separated, like from, you know, the bigger, the cooler boroughs mm-hmm. and like the cool music scene. And yeah, they were, that's great. They were just like half a dozen super weirdos who were into the same weird stuff. And they obsessively so, obsessively too. so. Oh, yeah. and, and they just found each other and connected in with such intensity that like, we're still all feeling it because yeah. they made this awesomely weird stuff. Cause yeah. they weren't trying to, if they were in Manhattan, they weren't trying to fit in. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. They weren't trying to use yeah. clean loops that hit hard and whatever. They were just making weird art they were just out of hip hop. And it yeah. made awesome. And Devo yeah, was the same so story. All these yeah. super weird guys in Ohio yeah. who just like, well, they were so weird. And as soon as they found each other, they were like, yes, another weirdo. And like, they connected <laughs> so hard that the stuff they made was so weird that yeah. like the rest of the world eventually noticed. They're from Akron, right? Or was, somewhere else the akron where the rubber like the rubber industry died and it's weird like the like the lake was on fire and yeah the the, the community was the industry was failing like yeah this is weird so when i tell you who their manager for a time was this will completely make sense to you but ben royston's uncle oh wow i believe it was i don't know if it's doug's brother or his mom's Christy. sister christie's oh, sister wow. christie's brother but yeah nice <laughs> yeah of royston or someone related to them we'll take was it was involved yeah it makes perfect sense it makes perfect sense that's yeah. awesome the thing with um the just because uh, i just do think it's a fun and weird story when that the way that this band came together was like right when the studio opened mm-hmm. we were like not quite open and it was february and i got an email and it was like um from my muhlenberg.edu account. So I was like, um, I don't know. I was like, it's probably professor or someone like, he's not like totally crazy. Like sometimes <laughs> you never know who you're not, whatever. I shouldn't prejudge based on someone's like domain. But I was like, the studio wasn't quite open, but they were like, can I come in and use it anyway? And I was like, you know what? This might be a good person to like test it. Cause I probably, they have some institution behind them that mm-hmm. I can trust that they're not going to like mess it up. Cause it was so new and it wasn't even open. And I was like a little bit afraid of it. Like of just letting anyone in, but they were like, Oh, I'm doing this album. There's the thing in February, it's called RPM. It's like you do, you write an album in a month. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, uh, you tell me about that. Yeah. And so it was Tom, Janice, who is like, that's who that was. And and he was like, I just wanted to record drums. And I just heard that the library has this too. And I can't record drums in my house. And like, I come in. I was like, all right, we're not open yet. But like, um, yeah, you can come in. And I was like, so, like, we were so nervous to like let anybody in. Uh, and then... He said, I was like, just send me what you're, what you have when you're done. Because I just was like so excited to hear what was coming out of the studio. I'm like, everyone's like, everyone tells me I'm like the studio dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, well, what are you guys working on? Yeah, yeah. So then he sent me it and I loved it so much. I was just like, 
this is so good because it just sounded like Elliot Smith and like Dinosaur Jr. And like it just sounded like all the bands I love in this. Oh, yeah. I was like, whoa, Tom, you are awesome. And he was like, oh, do you uh, play? He asked me. I was like, yeah, I I play a little bit. And he was like, oh, I'm looking for a bass player. I was like, I play bass. Which I didn't. I totally lied. I just want. <laughs> I just want to. Like in that moment, I just like, lied. Sure. I own a base. Like I. I was like, I'm a base owner. Like be, actually, because someone left it at my house like 12 years ago, and they just never picked it up. So I was like, I. But I never learned how to play it. I never changed the strings. I never n- tuned it even. But I was like, yeah, I play bass. I totally lied to be in Tom's band, and then just because I knew I wanted to, I was just so excited. I don't know. But that's how you stay youthful, right there. <laughs> just jumping fun, in, fun little lies, like <laughs> just jumping in, smile all the time. I always jump in. <laughs> I always leap, and then look. Yes, and then it sometimes works, and sometimes doesn't. But in this case, it totally did. And I was like, I'm just gonna teach myself bass real quick. I mean, I had been playing guitar for like 20 years, and I'm like not really trained. But I took um, classical guitar for a little while, mm-hmm. like. Uh, and so I learned a lot of that, like, right-hand finger-picking stuff. And so I was like, I could probably figure out bass. I mean, it was kind of dumb, but whatever. So then, no, Tom, it's great. <laughs> and then me and Tom jammed, and we just started writing songs. And I was like, we had this text thread when like, we first met each other. Like, all we did for, like, a month was just, like, text the names of bands back and forth. And, like, just bands we like. Just mm-hmm. to, like, and every weird band that he was, like, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I love them. And, I, and so we just, like, bonded. Uh, super hard and I started making music and then this dude Sam who is um, one of our first volunteers he just like came to the Sam Redonia oh yeah yeah um, Rad Sam he just came to the studio and he was like I'm a trained engineer he's like I went to L3C to learn sound engineering he's like I'm not doing it at work and I really miss it he's like do you ever need anyone to like help record bands Mm -hmm. I was like we can't pay you (laughs) he's like he helped me like put it together too some days yeah, he, he would just, come by and help with whatever help. he just wanted to be around it he just wanted great. to be around it and he's been there since day- and then also then revealed himself to be like a phenomenal drummer he's a really good drummer he's so good so that's so that became our three uh, uh the three of us became um uh, a band um and then at one of the 11 fests we had 11 fest is the yearly uh, November 11th concert fundraising concert at the library um, fundraising for studio 11 fundraising for studio 11 we have 11 bands we super embrace the spinal tap theme it goes from quiet all the way to loud one to 11 with we, each band you turn it up a we notch have a giant on a prop, big dial <laughs> we have a prop amp <clears throat> dial that one of our librarians made uh, Joe since retired she's awesome and yeah so um, and I, we fictional name was gonna play one of those and and we had some of the charter arts um, high school kids performing, and I was like, "Wouldn't that be fun to have like one of those like uh, one of those like because there's there are all these young women with like beautiful voices?" And I was like, "Why don't we get one of those like young women to sing with us?" Because like like Leonard Cohen always would would do that, mm-hmm. or like um, um, who else am I thinking of? Like like Nick Cave sometimes, or like you would just hear these like dudes with like unconventional voices, or like uh, David Berman does it in like mm-hmm. Silver Jews and stuff. And like Peter I Gabriel too with uh, Kate Bush. Yeah, oh man, don't give up. But like yeah, and I can't sing at all. So I was like, Tom's a good singer, but I I'm not. But I was like, let's have a. I just wanted to sort of the mix of like my weird speak singing yelling mm-hmm. combined with like a angelic voice mm-hmm. i was like that might be fun and so it turned out that tom that tom didn't know the mom of one of the girls who was playing because <laughs> we're old and that's karis uh karis chase my girl and um we were like do you want to sing a song with us and she was like sure she was going to be performing with her friend Eleven fest anyway so then she came and jammed with us 
And we were like, do you want to sing all of our songs forever? <laughs> because, like, her voice is so good. And, yeah, her voice is great. And we also just, like, everyone in that band, like, we're all different. Like, I'm, we're almost all exactly 10 years apart. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm in my 40s, Tom's in his 30s, Sam's in his 20s, and Garrett's is 18 years old. So, um, we're like, but we all have a kind of a similar sense of humor. And, like, um, I wrote this song called Pretty Good Day, which it says, like, I had a pretty good day and a pretty bad night, and I'm running out of time to make things right. It's like a bummer of a song. And uh, she was like, is that about, like, you know, like uh, like, an, like addiction or something like that? I was like, no, it's about, like, my failed diet. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I ate healthy all day, and then I ate a bunch of cookies at night. <laughs> and she was like, yeah. She's like, heroin cookies, it's all part of the human condition. Yeah, it's true. And I was like, you are a wise 18-year-old, <laughs> and you need to be in this band forever. So she has been, like, just jamming with us for, like, a year now. And it's all just, yeah, people we met through the library. And then my neighbor, Brian Lazeski, who was, like, a pilot, so he's only, like, in the country, like, half the time. But sometimes he would just jam at my neighbor's house and he's like a phenomenal guitar player like so then we were like do you also be in our band so he just from like he was like okay so he just also jumped in so then we somehow became a five piece and so and like and Karis has all this like classical training and stuff and like you can see her singing like opera and stuff um, and and Brian loves like Grateful Dead and like Frank Zappa and like real like jam kind of stuff mm -hmm. and like me and Tom kind of always just like indie rock, punk rock stuff. And Sam definitely has been in a bunch of rock bands too, but also listens to all like jazz and hip hop and mm -hmm. stuff. And so it's like all these people that we never would have got together if not for the studio. And of course, like, yeah, it's like my baby anyway, the studio song. I'm like so Yeah, it's kind of, the, of it. it's like a very much like a product of, the ultimate product of that space. You know what I mean? Yeah. we're all, And we've had like different engineers come in um, that we've been able to work with in the studio. We have all these people volunteering, all these people coming out and like, yeah, they just want to be part of it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's great. And like you said, it's like, there's so many great people around here to just pick up the slack with stuff like that. I always find there's someone around who wants to help out and do something and do something cool too. Yes. Like there's always this, like so I read this article the other day about, um, how we were in like the top 100 places to live or whatever. It was, yeah, it was a cool, it was cool. It's really nice, but it's also very heavy on the like business, start a business here, yeah, start yeah. to move your huge business here or something right, like right, that. Right, and right. like, I don't, that's great and everything for our economy. It's great for some people in the economy, you know what I mean? But like, I think sure. there are just a lot of, uh, just a lot of creative people here who also care about the greater good, it seems Yeah, too. Something about like, Everything around here, like the stuff like the Studio 11 and I don't know, just the, the maybe just the a little bit of like the DIY punk ethos that kind of still filters down the generations that like makes people want to do something. They make, make people want to do it themselves. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And we really. Yeah. And right. Like we're 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 not like those of us who grew up in that scene, like aren't like not necessarily like we're not arrogant to think that we know all the answers, but we are like stubborn enough to just be like i'll figure it out <laughs> like, <laughs> like we're just like i'll try it like i'll try it like we're not gonna wait for someone else to like build a venue and invite us to oh we're yeah, just gonna yeah make one make one somewhere. make a venue make a recording studio yep like yeah i've since i was 18 i've had some kind of recording setup like for 20 some years you know what i mean everywhere i went everywhere i moved apartment or someone's like literally like a chicken coop once like this back house on like a farm in el monte california like i've stuck a recording studio in all these spaces. Were there chickens in it? There were chickens right next to it. And the turkey that, uh, this turkey was such a jerk. Turkey it, dumb. It, it, was, it was a jerk. <laughs> it, um, 
it would chase if if you turned from it the tiniest bit and it saw that you were like revealing your side oh, and it like to go for it, it would dominate you and it would shoot at you from like 20 30 feet away and like my bandmates and I ran into this little room we were recording shut the door and we kind of like backed away from it and we see the handle going <laughs> It was God. pecking. It was pecking at the handle That's to try and get at stuff. us. Yeah, is he on the album? No, yeah, I think he might have. He was in. He actually made it on like some recording at some nice. point. Like his little, little background noise. Reason, I mean, I there was a dog on the album, and the dog. I finished a guitar take, and this dog started whining because it was like getting. <laughs> it was you know wanted to go for a walk or something like that, and you can hear, <laughs> like a little bit of that from. It's like all the old blues, years ago. like the old blues albums. You can hear that sometimes. Yeah, just people in the house or whatever. I always liked that. I always liked that better than yeah. like a super polished uh, production. I like that stuff too, and it's cool. You capture the. It's more of a moment that you capture when you kind of leave that stuff in. Did you ever eat that turkey? So that turkey, uh, I was just out in California and I visited the family and everything who were at that house. It was my buddy Ian's his aunt and uncle who let us just put a studio in the back of their house, basically. Nice. And they have like this kind of farmstead thing. Weirdly in the middle of Los Angeles. Wow. It's bizarre. That's in like cool. the su- semi-suburbs, but Los Angeles County. Wow. Um, just lots of houses, houses. And then there's like, it was zoned uh, way back in the day. It was just zoned for different types of like animal rearing and stuff like that. And then people built it up around it, but there's some places that were still holdouts from, like, you know, passed down through generations. So they had goats, Hmm. turkey, chickens, a pig named Lucy. She did dove releases, and then she just kept birds. Um, It was was incredible. I am curious, like, when you – so you moved to California when? In uh, 2000 – early 2001. So you were, like, just out of high school? Uh, No, I was out of high school for a little bit. Um, I had had a studio in Allentown, like a little basement studio thing. So right out of high school, you opened like a recording yeah, studio? Yeah, I went to college. I was in a year, first only, I only went to college for one year. While I was doing that, I was gigging full time as a drummer. And oh, yeah. during that, I also started a recording studio in Allentown, which was doing well, actually. I made it two years and then I just kind of stopped because we were getting ready to move to California. And then I packed all my stuff up and went out there in 2021. And that was that. I moved out there with a band called Wheelie that... Wait, 2001. 2001, sorry, 2021. Um, Wheelie was called Nepenthe before that, and we had played Scarlet's a bunch. I remember seeing those flyers. Yeah, yeah. We were all in very similar similar scenes. And I was out there from 2001 to 2008 and did a bunch of... uh, Recording in weird spots, guest rooms, bedrooms, uh, the chicken coop situation. Like that's just like an itinerant sound guy. No, I was in. I've always recorded my own band. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you weren't doing like you weren't recording other people's bands for as like a job. I did that on the now. side too. Yeah, yeah. I had a spot in the city Whittier, which was like a city in Los Angeles County. Um, it's right. It's like maybe ten minutes outside downtown LA. And uh, this guy who had a label, which is actually how I I don't know if I ever told you about the Green Day Weezer covering a Green Day song that I mastered. Oh wow! Um, I got it from this this guy. He, he's actually the reason we moved out there. Um, like power pop and geek rock and nerd rock and the get up kids, Weezer, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Ozma, all these things were kind of coming back mm-hmm. in like the early two thousands around then. And, um, this label was, uh, doing a Weezer tribute and he really liked our band. He found us on mp3.com, which was an amazing website that I wish there was still something it's like the radio like. on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of was, it was kind of that. It, it was kind of like a, it was kind of like an, uh, it was almost like a, a MySpace page or like mm. a Bandcamp page 
all in one, but you could search by genre and location and uh, location within a certain uh, distance of yourself too. So you could five bands like you or whatever near wow. you and stuff. So this guy searched, he, he heard of us somehow and we actually yeah. were charting because our music was doing well on oh, their nice. aggregator and yeah, whatever. Yeah. This label found us. Wanted us to be on the Weezer tribute. Then it's like, we're doing a bunch of shows. Rilo Kiley's playing. Oh, Brian yeah. Bell from Weezer actually said he wants to do a set of his own stuff there. We had this other, like, there's a lot. I was like, you actually know all these people? Monique from Save Ferris was going to do a song on this thing or whatever. And it was all this stuff that we were like, okay. Wow. Yeah. So we we're like, let's, uh, let's check this out. So we moved out there, like based on this one thing. And he got us on this tour. We did a tour. Um, and then I moved all my recording stuff into a guest house in his house. Oh, wow. So I mastered that uh, Weezer recording of a Green Day song. Like the Rod Cervera, who produced it, like mailed me a uh, reel-to-reel, like a huge reel-to-reel master of the Weezer recording. Wow. And like he thought I had this fancy mastering studio. <laughs> and I had like myself and a computer and a little board in the back of this room with all yeah. my stuff. And I was like, oh, you know what? Um, do you have a dat of that? Which is like this little right. digital, digital audio, audio tape. tape. Yeah. I so I was like, yeah, can, you get me, can you get me one of those? I, uh, I don't have the, the right tape machine. My tape machine is on like, the fritz. Because I, I don't have anything <laughs> but a DAT machine computer board. My uh, my reel-to-reel got eaten by an angry turkey. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ended up in these cool guest houses in California a couple of times. But yeah, I ended. I, that was a, a beautiful space. It was like this really beautiful house in this backyard. I produced three albums out of there. I did that mastering for that and mastered that song and then uh, recorded some other people for money and stuff like that and then recorded my own bands and stuff like that too. Like kind of kept, that was a common theme through that whole time was always having something for my own band to record at because I just never, yeah. coming back to it, I just never felt like I need to go to anybody else to do what yeah. I can do myself. Yeah. You know? Did you study Sound engineering? Yeah, I, went to the, I was the uh, initial year of the Banana Factory. Oh. The very first year they did a video production, um, an audio production. It was, I was a senior in high school. It was 98, uh, 97, 98 school year. And I was like 17. And uh, I only had like, I only remember having like two or three classes. I had like an English class, calculus, and physics, and liberty. Oh. I had three classes in the morning and that was it. I had no other classes I needed to take at that point. So I would just go there the rest of the day from noon on. It was awesome. legit. Yeah. But I had like three classes and then yeah. just banana factory the rest <laughs> of the day. And then, so that's really where you learned. The Honestly, that was, it was great for people starting out. I yeah. had done that on my own. So I literally okay. started when I was like nine years old with yeah. a four track and like started figuring that stuff out. And I was like good with electronics when I was really young. My dad would get me electronics kits and like, yeah, I was, I always was good with like gear and engineering and, and stuff like that. Yeah. I had it around for a long time. So I kind of, I had already recorded an album in my basement yeah. twice yeah. by the time I went to the banana factory, but there were formal things that I did miss. You know what yeah. I mean? So it was like, I know what cardioid is, but it's like, oh yeah, there's super cardioid. There's in between. There's a, there's a ribbon microphone. I didn't know what a ribbon microphone was. You know what I mean? So there were cool things that I learned that I wouldn't just get from my street, yeah. street learning. And I feel like it came up at a really interesting time where analog was going to digital. So funny. I just talked to my dad about this today. Yeah. yeah that huh. was, I went from recording to a cassette thing in my basement um, to moving up to an eight track digital thing. Yeah. And then I got a second eight track digital thing when I actually tried to start a studio because I started gigging as a drummer. So I was saving money and just investing in the studio thing. But that was still kind of like recording to like a four track or where it's multi-track on tape, linear, record, rewind, play is yeah. all mechanical yeah within three years i was completely on a computer yeah like completely the mastering i was doing was on a computer all of the mixing was on a computer 
anyone, everything. Anyone who came up even just a couple of years after you never would have never had that would have touched it. Analog experience. Yeah. I, I went from recording on digital, like literal digital VHS cassettes. I don't know if yeah. you ever saw those ADATs. No, they were terrible. Not. I was like when I was nineteen, <laughs> I used to have to drive him to Broomall, which is the only person, only place within like two hundred miles I could work on him. Wow. I'd have to drive him down there and not have a deck for a week because they would screw up like every like three weeks, something would glitch out on them or whatever. Um, They're terrible. And then with, yeah, two years, I never touched them again for the rest of my life. That's why within two years, completely different. And, and our music is getting turned into MP3s, not CDs. Right. Also within two years, right. We're putting it in the computer, making it downloadable before we care to do anything else with it. What do you think about people going back to physical media these days? Like, is that a trend? It seems like it is. I mean, vinyl's been selling really great over yeah, the last right. couple of years. Um, I still think CDs sound really good. Yeah. And I like having artwork. I like reading what, who the engineer is on stuff. My credits are all screwed up on Spotify. Like yeah. half the bands I record, even if I kind of show them how to do it, something ends that's up happening weird. and it doesn't. Yeah. There's um, no, yeah, that's a librarian that bothers me because there's no uh, metadata control. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's me being angry about lack of metadata control. Meta, That's metadata how you know control. how punk rock I am. Yeah. <laughs> fucking metadata straight spot. Yeah. Punk rock librarians are angry. <laughs> <laughs> There's many of us. Yeah, There's, no, it, it, it's, it kind of stinks though because you want to like, no, you know, take is. control of that. I've it worked on so does. many, so many songs and so many releases over the years and like not all of it's logged. Hey, and they're like proposing something where the, Royalties will be better, right? Yeah. That's like in Congress right yeah, now. Yeah, that's, uh, 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 what's her name? Uh, From Minnesota. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can't remember either. Rashid, I don't want to mess up her name. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's something moving right now. Um, you, Ma, kind of worked on that. I definitely, I know some engineers who also kind of uh, got a lot of people aware of the issues and stuff like that. I just do title. I mean, people get like a, a good, you know, 0.09 cents per stream with title, a lot better than Spotify, which is 0. 0.0073 or something like that. That's good know. to know. Yeah. No, but back to the quality. Title sounds really good. Um, the the stream is very very nice. It's like master recordings too. They try. They made a point to have master recordings, and it seems like they make a real solid point to have like all the credits taken care of too, and That's everything like that. Yeah, I think we're gonna put the fictional name album out on cassette tape. Are you going to do that through the library? Are you still talking about doing like a library label thing? We had talked about it, but we haven't we haven't um, really made any movement in that direction. Mm -hmm. um, one of the guys from Raid has like a – Rob has like a tape basically. He's like – A tape, like tape duper or something tape, like that. Yeah. Oh, basically nice. Like we're still I have a CD duper. <laughs> I have like, two of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we're still in high school. Oh, no. It's Someone's great. Someone's got a tape duper. We're going to do tapes of Rob's house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, maybe that's part but of why cool. I love that, honestly. I know. I have two CD, th CD duplication things at the studio and yeah. like a yeah. couple people used them in the last years. They're, even five years ago, I did like – a hundred copies for somebody on white CDRs because you can get white CDRs for cheap. Oh, you can yeah. get a rubber stamp from ABE rubber stamp. They mm. do really nice work and like they'll, they, they ship me stuff for free sometimes randomly and you can stamp white CDRs, put them in the machine. That's cool. I can knock out a hundred in like a half hour. That still does feel cool. And they sound really good. Like it sounds better than streaming on average for me. Yeah. Definitely. And like, you know, you'll have something physical to hold on to, which I think is, even if it, you know, it could be wasteful, but there's lots of ways we all we all waste constantly and like art I kind of give a pass to. That's right. It yeah, could, it has enough of a positive an effect that like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so interested in the way people read, obviously, as a librarian, as an author too. You know, like I, I do have a giant 
box of my own books at the house that like mm-hmm. well, I had two books come out like during the pandemic and I write books for kids and teens and stuff and going to schools and those kind of things is like a big part of that scene and just mm-hmm. you couldn't do it. But also I think a lot of young people even do like to still read I mean as an author, yeah, like you want a physical copy of your book. Like it's not super exciting to like Look at it. Look at a PDF. PDF. <laughs> like it's kind of yeah. It's it's not so. But then also yeah. I think we just look at screens so much that like you just paper is like different on your eyes. Like it's just a different experience. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So there and you know you're touching the story. Yeah. It's and every time you know every I constantly hear like you know people are like oh whenever depending on who I'm talking to they'll be like people still read. People still go to libraries. You know, I hear that all the time. Sometimes from our elected officials. <laughs> and sometimes from... I can see that. <laughs> and sometimes from just smart asses or, or just people who genuinely are surprised. They're like, oh, I haven't been in a library in forever. Those are still a thing. And I was like, oh, that's still a thing. But, um, I mean, as a kid, yeah, you definitely still need to kind of be around books and print and, like, just, like, a print-rich print, print rich environment, they call it. Like, just to, like, be around it. Like, being in a library, like, that... Is going to make a kid a reader like handing them an iPad or a phone or whatever. Like, isn't it? Still doesn't it's just not going to do, do the it. same thing. That's tempting because you it associate is. with something different because that's going to be used as like a soothing yeah. device just, half the time to or a distraction device. Exactly. It's impossible. I, yeah. Sometimes I read on on my phone, but I still do prefer books. I own way too Oh, many. I love, I, I will, like I still, I read, I get Tape Op magazine. It's mm-hmm. a kind of like a oh, creative yeah. recording magazine that, um, it's done by this guy, Larry Crane, who owns a studio in um, Portland, Oregon. And he was kind of like, he started that studio with um, Elliot Smith, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's like a whole lineage there. And uh, this guy really cares about the art of it. And it's a, just a well done thing, well written thing. And I still, I connect so much to that compared to anything else I'll read about audio. Yeah. Like I can just keep rereading those and getting something else from it. But on my phone, yeah. it's I know. so easy it's to so feel easy like to it, what that tells me is, is bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you lie to me the rest of the time or you distract yeah. me with dumb shit the rest of the time. Like, why should I believe on this? Yeah. Why should I take your word for this one? I don't know. It doesn't. It, it feels a lot better to hold that physical copy and see what they choose with the artwork and how they lay it out and everything. Like it's just a different experience. I was, I was thinking about something like in connection to the studio too, and like when those people say to me like, "Oh, like, oh, like people still like people still use libraries," you know, mm-hmm. and like I, th- I really think like I really think I'm like motivated by spite because I'll be like, <laughs> yes. I'll be like, oh you. Oh, you think no one's gonna come to the library? I'll, I'll give be you a like, reason to come to the library. Yeah, I'm like, we were gonna, we we're gonna have a recording studio. We're gonna have, uh, we have like uh, concerts. We have plays. We have uh, art openings. We have yeah. Like, and what's, food what you're programs. doing? You're expanding the role of it, which I think is great. I, I think the more you know, the more public resources that are there, the better. And there's a lot of interesting conversations in libraries around the country, like about yeah, like what we are what we aren't what we and so like in a way it's like i always say it's like a little scary because yeah the what the library was forever used to be just set and if you ran one you knew what you were doing you knew what it was <laughs> you're you're you riding the top of a wave right now yeah. it's just moving yeah. yeah right so it's cool it's scary but it's cool like yeah we can do and so many libraries are doing stuff with with food access and with that was yeah health health care and so I, I almost texted you the other day like <laughs> if uh I'm not getting like a checkup at the library doctor by next year. I'm not coming or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Literally is going to make yeah. a joke about that. I had no idea that was actually a thing. Well, there's Because like, I'm thinking that. Yeah. I'm thinking like how far can you push it? Because yeah. 
I personally think that those are the kind of things that anybody should have access to. Right. You know? Right. So socioeconomic status should not be a determining factor with most things. Yeah. You and know? There, there are like, there's like street medicine operations locally. Yeah. And, yeah. There's like, and, and we've been really right before COVID, we were really starting to put something together with some of those folks. But, and then, you know, I also like uh, think about it in terms of, especially when it comes to young people, like, um, and they say the same thing in schools, like, Okay, maybe like feeding a kid isn't a school's job, but also a kid's not learning if he's hungry, so um, just feed him. Yeah, <laughs> so like that is part of yeah, making like, a good student, and just don't—they have to be there anyway. You're ignoring like the the most basic floor of Maslow's hierarchy of <laughs> needs. Exactly. If you're familiar with that, of like, course, yeah. yeah. And uh, right, so I, and, and I do feel like sometimes I, it can be like like some things will come up. I feel like I have no leg to stand on because, like, one of my colleagues will throw something. And I'm like, well, is that really what a library is? And I'm like, yeah, never mind. <laughs> like, I can't say that because I've already done so much weird stuff that I'm like, well, we'll try your thing too. <laughs> like, I have, I, have nowhere left to, I have nowhere left to stand. So, but I also, I mean, and I did read a study. There's a massive study that this, uh, there's a political action committee called Every Library, um, everylibrary.org. I'll plug them. You can give them money and they do awesome work for, for libraries all around the country. And because there are, Pack and most of us are 501c3s or branches of municipal government. We can't lobby or get involved in politics or and any candidates. Libraries themselves in a lot of the country, their budgets are voted on by the public. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Here it's part of a larger budget and we just vote for candidates and they do what they do. So, but anyway, every library did this giant study where they, um, they, they mapped all the library referendums. Basically, you know, when it went to the voters, should we fund the library or not? Or should we increase funding or not? And and all the ones that that passed. And then they there's all this data that libraries keep about how many books get checked out, how many events we have, how everything gets tracked at the mm-hmm. library. And one thing we all keep is just foot traffic. How many people come in the door? So they found that was like you could directly overlay it. Like the the places that have high foot traffic are mm-hmm. the places where the referendums passed. Mm-hmm. So it's like the communities where people don't go into the library, they don't vote to fund them. So you could say. It's a good question as to which comes first. Mm-hmm. But to me, I'm like, okay, this like validates everything I've been trying to do. Mm-hmm. Anything that gets, gets people, people in, in there. the door yeah. is val- is is yeah, funding yeah. our future. And so, I would say I found I talked to um, a handful of people who were kind of more like on the conservative side of things and told them about some of the stuff that you did and stuff that's going on at the library and like stuff that I'm about with that and everything. And I don't know if they realized it, but they were really all about something that was f- for a lot of people that their like tax dollars are paying for. Yeah, and they but they're all about it. And they think right. it's a great thing. Oh, I love the library, and I love that it's doing more like that. And it's like it's kind of like a little way it's in. Kind, I think right. you know what I mean. It's a little little wedge in there. I drove past a house in Hellertown that had a fun or support our library. Yard sign right next to a Mastriano yard sign. Oh, really? And I was like, that's interesting. That's a, <laughs> probably a, con- a massive contradiction. <laughs> and maybe that's two different people who live yeah. in that same house. Or maybe those pe- people, libraries do cut across. And Yeah, it does. And um, But we do have our struggles. I mean, we mm-hmm. do have like people who want to defund the library. I mean, we, we I, I have these conversations every probably every day. Uh, I've worked in libraries now for almost 25 years. And like, yeah, it's constantly been like really constantly. Where does that come from? Justify just anti-tax mentality. Yeah, they're just like, don't take my money to. I don't use it, so why are you taking my money to give that guy? Yeah, a book. I don't know. He can just buy himself. (laughs) Like people are just like that. It seems like most of it is just like, I don't want my money going to fund some other person's thing. 
Yeah. But then now libraries have become this like really like hot button thing with all sorts of cultural war stuff. Like people are really like, I guess you see the same thing at school boards and stuff where they mm-hmm. like, don't, don't teach this book. Or, yeah. Yeah. Like don't say gay or like all that stuff in Florida, like those kind of things. And so we haven't had too, too much of that here, but it's like, I hear about it all the time where people are really like, I don't know. The library represents something to like um, certain political leaders that like they're just it just pushes their buttons in a negative way and they just they don't want to see their money going towards it. That's why it seems though that more often than not it's actually a way in for people who kind of are on that side of things. Yeah. Which I think is cool. It's a good it's an opportunity, you know, and if you can just keep on <laughs> getting weirder and expanding it further and further. Like literally like I said, I was like, I'm gonna joke make a crack a joke about going to my doctor there next year or whatever. But that's a real thing. And libraries are working too because of the post-pandemic world, like people need just private spaces to do like Zooms mm-hmm. sometimes with their doctor. And sometimes mm-hmm. those people who need it, they don't have a high-speed internet connection and a working Absolutely, yeah. phone camera and everything. So, but also you don't want to do that on a public computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're trying to figure out how to bi- create these little private private areas for um yeah for job interviews and for virtual doctor oh, visits. That's and, great. Uh, There's so many things you could tie into that too. That's yeah. A, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we're about to do a real big renovation next year at the main library on the first floor. So mm-hmm. my first big project when I came in was the children's room on the second floor. We completely gutted and renovated. And then um, we've opened up a couple little satellite locations throughout the service area, one in Bethlehem Township and one in Fountain Hill. And then, yeah, next we're like really make, doing a big makeover for the main library. So, yeah, that's fun too because it's like, what can it be? Like, yeah. what should it be? What do people need? Like. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get rid of all the books. Like that's not <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not happening. But like we do have the opportunity to like yeah, sort of try to meet people's needs in all sorts of ways. And do it yourself again. You're doing it's like the people are doing it themselves. Yeah. It's tax dollars, it's people doing what people need for themselves and not relying on anybody else. It's making it a public resource. That's just like, you know, yeah. the idea of the studio. It's making it a public real resource. It's now people can do that themselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm getting some money for a PA system for the Rose Garden. That's going to uh, gonna be for the people. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's there because I don't also want to see people who like don't have, like some of the bands I, I booked a thing with for uh, live in the garden with the city. And, um, they're, they kind of just assume, some people like the chamber kind of just assumed that the bands would have their own PA and this and that and all right. this stuff and I had this like wait a minute mm. it's a day before and I didn't see them respond to any this question or this question in the email chain I'm like so I text somebody and I'm like are you expecting them to bring a PA? Like, cause I'll work it out. If not, we'll figure something out. And they just figured everyone would provide everything. They were just going to set up tents and have, make a shirt, make yeah. a logo and whatever. And I was like, the bands that I book for this <clears throat> can't afford a PA to fill that size stage right, right. and shouldn't, nor should they be expected to. These are like, some of them are kids. <laughs> they're, they're barely out of high school. And I want to, yeah. and they're, you know, they're bands who are getting overlooked by arts quest at times and who are playing local shows and stuff like that. So I want to hook them up to something solid. And, we're going to be filling that place with a decent, decent PA that's for everybody. You yeah. know what I mean? And making that a resource so that it's yet another thing that's not, um, you know, there's no barrier there because of money, basically. And that's not like, <clears throat> excuse me, that's not necessarily what people think like, oh, that's what like the parks, like that's in the city park department or something, but why not? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an awesome space. Yeah. The Rose Garden. That's a great space. It's a great space. Yeah. It's been a great space for a long time. It's been underused for a while. Um, yeah, it's cool. There's finally going to be something there. I think and that's coming back next year too, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we, um, 
I keep trying to really make the library like a cool venue. Like we mm-hmm. I have to pick your brain a little bit more about how to how to keep making it better. But we bought a stage mm-hmm. and we bought um some for the lights. Cohen room. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, we have a little stage in there and um and uh, yeah, I mean even the Cohen room is an awesome story because that was Bob Cohen who who um was known to a lot of people in the area. He was really involved with WDIY and he was on the library board and done a lot of things and community minded person and he. Actually donated a bunch of money to the library before he passed, and then willed money to it. But then, even but once we put like, like he put his name on it to like you know honor him. But then um, it wasn't like a, intended to snowball the fundraising, but it did because so many people were like, "Oh, that's, that's he touched he had touched a lot of people." T- so they gave money to his thing, and so at Eleven Fest we we don't charge, we don't sell tickets, we do like. Um, we do a suggested donation, and we do $11, which is, <laughs> of course, because I'm obsessed with this as a gimmick. But also, it's kind of a great idea because no one wants to make change, so people just give you 20s all yep, the time. Yep, yep. So uh, <laughs> we ended up with – we made so much money, like, that uh, the whole year – I mean, like, like I've just been buying cool stuff, like for mm-hmm. the for every like we bought a stand up bass because it was like on sale. Oh <laughs> yeah, like, the music store I told you about, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I bought all these cables, mics, drums. Like we just keep buying cool stuff, and it's just there for everybody. And it's not that's actually not even tax dollars. Yeah, that's just people. And even if they themselves, the bands are playing, they're donating their time and they're putting money in the bin mm-hmm. to see their friends' bands. And like it's just really, um, it's really been satisfying and really been really been one of the coolest things um and yeah i don't know i don't know if it could happen everywhere because like the the thing is like a lot i actually get like interviewed like so every once in a while from either library um periodicals or like just other librarians around the country who are like how like how like how does this work like how do you do it you know <laughs> well that's that's another great thing is that there are all these little things like that in this area and like that could be taken and yeah emulated elsewhere yeah yeah and and what I tell them though is like okay there you have to have the space and you have to have the funding but really you have to have, you have to have people devoted to it like, mm-hmm. you have to have someone checking up on it mm-hmm. and you have to have some people like you were saying willing to do that like grunt work mm-hmm. like, we have people who volunteer just to come in and. Wrap the cables properly. Yeah, move stuff around. Like, I don't like them. They're all <laughs> squirrely in there. So they just come in yeah. and do it. And not for money, not for fame, not yeah, for like, yeah, prestige, yeah. not to get their name on a plaque, nothing. Just to know that then the next person who comes in is going to have a better experience and make something cool. And they'll get to be part of that. Which I think there's a good amount of people who want to do that around here, which yeah. is cool. And I am yeah. like, I am like, like, I do. It's funny because we have this new booking system where you can reserve time and it's a on the, for the studio it's a lot more it's a lot more um what's the word like just convenient it just works a lot more easily the old way was like it was this web form that would literally send me an email mm-hmm. and i'm like you know i'm the director of a lot like, i have 60 employees and four locations and a three million dollar year budget like i should not be responding to everyone personally <laughs> who wants to like book the studio but i can't help it because i'm just like a little like i'm like a, I'm like obsessive, and B, I just like love it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, what are you working on? Yeah. And like, I'm like, send me a track when you're done. And everybody does. Like all these like rappers and stuff, they're like, yo, Josh, check this out. They're like sending me their tracks. That's it's so great. so great. And I love all of it. And 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 I'll write to them. I'm like, hey, you haven't been in a little while. <laughs> like I'll nudge them. I'm like, you didn't get finished this album. You like know, I gotta. That, that's funny. I, that's kind of how I work with a lot of the people that I work with the studio too. And that's like what, I'm always checking in with their demoing. Like where yeah. are they at with everything? Like yeah, I mean, you said you wanted to come in the next month. Like yeah. you know, start right. a book. Up. Like, let me know what's going on when I yeah. hear what you're working on. Like, it's more than just like a, a transaction. 
and that's a what, business and transaction. That's what makes it succeed. That yeah, just people have to care. Yeah, and I think I, I kind of, um, and you do too. Like I think we both attract people who also care. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's always like a little shocking because you're like, what is. What's in it for him? What's his angle? And then you're like, wait, wait, what's in it for me? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm so bad at taking help too. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I just never, I'm like, no, 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 you don't need to help. Yeah. Thought, that's so many people have offered to help with tape swap. Come over to Shards just to shadow. Come over yeah. to intern. Yeah. I'm like, no, you don't, you don't have to do that. Like, I'll show you some stuff. Just come on, whatever. I just, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I, there's an abundance of that around yeah. here, which is great. And it's meaningful to them. And you're, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's something to remember. Like, that could be the moment that, like, someone's life changes in some way. Right. You know, you yeah. never know when that moment can can hit, depending on the person in their situation. You ever know what someone's going through? That that, that could be their escape. Like my True. friend growing up would escape a, a pretty crappy, abusive household to come to my weird household <laughs> to, yeah. to like hide away in the basement with me, and we learned how to record together, and we played music together, and just like constantly, constantly doing that, and like more so than just like we learned recording. Like it was right. a respite. Right. It wasn't like I'm trying to build a career in this. It's yeah. I'm yeah. Trying just that. Have a yeah, we just piece. had a great time and like discovering a new sound or a way to do something or imitating something we were dying to figure out. Like, recorded a Goldfinger song, it's like we made it sound like them, <laughs> we got the snare sound right. Like, that was like momentous for us, you know what I mean? And and it kept us, it kept us out of trouble, it kept him away from his crap family, and like you know, yeah. made his life a little better in that moment, you know. And there are so many creative people who, like, who I mean you go to school for it or not, or you have a passion for it or not. And then you just end up sort of doing some other lane in your life. And you just, you just miss it. Like once it's in you, you're just like, you need, and some, you know, you could always go play guitar by yourself or whatever, but that's not the same thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. The being part of a, a community like that is like, I got pulled into it because of tape swap. I mean, I, I was like, um, I moved back here and I did music and teaching and stuff kind of foolish time until like it, till I was like, I need to make a little more money than this. And I was a year into being here or whatever. And then, uh, <clears throat> I started, I was at, did social work and worked with people with mental illness for a while. I think for like almost like five and a half years or whatever. And while I did that on the side, I was doing the studio and I was like helping Seamus do tape swap stuff. And, um, just by doing that, they just kept pulling me further into that world. And I think that, I mean, I, I owe it to that, that I actually ended up doing this full time and having like this yeah. big cache of people who support me and, you know, what, 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 you know, what we are to each other in this area. It, it kind of built that. Can you explain what tape swap is? Like I know, but I only kind of know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it evolves, you know, depending on yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how much like time doing? we have. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it started after, so I stopped doing this zine in the early, um, in the early 2010s. And this whole point of the zine was to kind of hold a mirror up to the area and showcase who's doing what, who's playing, who's, who's making art. We were doing shows at secret art space. We were doing shows at my studio, hmm. which was dangerous and I shouldn't have done that, but <laughs> I did some wild shows at the yeah. studio with packed wall to wall. Yeah. Um, and just as that started to fade, um, and I got the social work job, Seamus came around looking to do a video, just a video series where he just records a van and does video. That was it. And he, um, he, his guy who he was going to have engineer this one session, just kind of a one-off, bailed the day of mm, and I was like I let's go shards yeah so we went there and then I kind of told him about stuff that I did before and like before you know we're both like batting ideas around yeah, yeah. and it was within six months that we had like a kind of functioning thing going I was like just get two or three bands at a time let's do this once a month 
And then it turned into, let's do a cassette release of everyone. Let's do a radio show that accompanies each show on DIY. Let's try and get MUH to play it too. Yeah. Let's, we just started building it in all these weird ways. We started hosting shows. Then we got the, um, uh, Doug Royston called them, called us into a meeting and we got the ice house four times a year for free. So, um, I wanted to use that opportunity to do, uh, benefit shows since we had that lack sure. of overhead. Yeah. I was like, let's get three bands. Let's try and get a, someone from out of town, maybe something touring, maybe someone drawing sandwich the out of town band between locals, yeah. keep it short and sweet, get beer and alcohol, beer and like whatever Just, wine or something like that in there. Food, make it like an event every yeah. time have pizza with your, drink ticket and people whatever throw money yeah that. and we yeah. would just get tons of tips and people would show up we did some huge ones where we had raffles and we made like four grand and stuff like that it yeah. was amazing so we kind of turned it into this thing that was multifaceted we would be showing the area who it was hmm. and i really wanted to just like when i was a kid and i saw these zines and like right. the cd that you saw like yeah I can do this too. Yeah. I wanted kids to see this or you know young adults to see this and say i can do this too i want to i want to I want to give give into that. I want to put something out there into the the art world, and then maybe even want to give back in some sense too. Once right. they see what we're doing, yeah. but also have kind of like another giving back component where we're also raising money for local charities. We did, I think we did something like close to ten grand since we started doing shows in 2015, and all the while we did these, we were doing the uh, the sessions at shards shards sessions where we record a band playing four songs and we interview them and then we'd also do rooftop sessions where yeah. we get all our stuff onto get a roof a with some drones and that like so do a cool. really cool shot we were doing it in allentown for a little bit we've been doing them now on the uh, flat iron building where yeah. diy is and the couple lehigh satellites are there and everything so um between getting lo local bands on these and showing everyone around here who they are, um, we've also had like bands from like Italy, Spain, Japan come back through a few times. One, one this one band Transcam came through a few times. So it's just kind of connecting everybody. And while doing that, we're you know offering entertainment because it's doing a show, so it's something to do and another reason for the scene to kind of come out and mingle again, and yeah. feel good about seeing each other. And then you know uh, local charities that we care about, we were raising money for. That's awesome. Was, yeah. the, was the zine a print zine at that point? The Be one Bethlehem Above Ground? Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. I, I still have a couple copies somewhere. Cool. Yeah, we were, we were doing like 200 at a time. And when was that? That was like uh, 2009. I was going to say, that's probably when I had babies and I was not yeah, super yeah. paying attention to anything. Yeah, it was, it was wild. Like, I came back here from California and I wanted to do something out there, but that attitude didn't quite fit with the scene I was in. Hmm. And I also was really busy with the band I was in. So I couldn't really yeah. get that that side of things. I wanted to organize something and do something bigger than just be in a band and try and play everywhere. Right. I wanted to do something that had a bigger effect. And uh, I got back here and I got John Schulteis and Hannah and Renee who started Secret Art Space um, all involved. And like John was like really into uh, like authors that I liked. So I was yeah. like, he's really salty. He likes heavy music and punk <laughs> and he likes authors and that I like. Yeah. So like, I think he'll be great for this. And yeah. I got them. They were very organized and they... Uh, like Hannah had like traveled the country, hopped trains, kind of lived like the crust punk life a little bit here and there. Cool. Yeah. And Ren Renee was like a, a, a learned like tablet player. She like studied in oh, India wow. and like was into weird shit. And it was like, this is a cool crew. Let's, yeah, uh, yeah. let's do some shit. That's so cool, cool, we started cool. getting together and I, you know, 
gave us little projects to write about and like tried to cover everything we could. I wrote about like my travels touring to a place South by Southwest with the band I was in at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we booked shows around here that were going really well. We were doing stuff uh, at where uh, Flying V is now. Mm-hmm. We were doing shows there every couple of weeks. We were doing shows at Secret Art Space, at the Wildflower, rest in peace. Um, yeah, that place was cool. Yeah, that was great. It's uh, Secret Art Space. And like I said, at, at my studio space. And then we did a, a couple big shows at St. Bernard's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we People just packed, still do packed that there. place. Yeah, yeah. That, was a, that was a great spot. It's like a, like a social hall style kind of thing. Kind of like a fire hall kind of show, that kind of thing. And we, so we did all that. It was kind of like, you can see where the theme, like I kind of wanted, wanted to do something that connected everybody entertained everybody but was constantly giving back to kind of create this feedback loop of like uh seeing that you could do something and like you know feeling like you're in a place where that's a that's something that does happen you know what i mean because you have to believe you have to believe in yourself you know i know it's funny because i always feel like i like it is a weird it is a weird um dichotomy of being like like um on the one like on the one hand you're like and i feel like like i feel like i'm kind of similar to you like you're so kind of like self deprecating kind of but then also you're kind of like i can do anything i want yeah <laughs> you're like i might just be dumb enough to try like, <laughs> but it works no, i crack because... some jokes i've been i've been working on that for a long time <laughs> uh, i i don't say half as uh, much self-deprecating stuff as i used to <laughs> okay but no good, i really good, do good. believe that i you know anyone can do anything they want that's the thing it's not me exactly. i'm not awesome that's, anyone can yeah that's where it comes from and right I, like it's a true democratic uh, approach like, yeah it's not just like i learned that from working with people with mental illness like i, I was like you know went into that thinking like this is going to be wild i'm gonna be around yeah. all these people with problems yeah, yeah, and then yeah. i get there it's like you're me <laughs> on a bad day here. and i'm actually have I'm been worse you. than you oh, yeah so i probably could have spent some time here too yeah yeah it's well, just and, and like i've watched people go from being brutalized by their own mind to pushing through it with a little bit of guidance and it was them you know they yeah. got themselves through it and that helped me so much to see that too you know like it was very self-actualizing to be around people who pull themselves out of that yeah you know yeah and i just feel like there is something like um i don't know like it's sort of like a yeah like uh like a rock bottom and then coming through it somehow and like we've all kind of like i don't know why yeah. like we've all we've been through that and i think like when i like i don't know what this makes me think of when i started really like um as a writer like and started sending stuff out and trying to and like people are like, oh, that's like that's like brave or whatever, you know. Like that's like, like um, you know, like you, you have to be prepared for rejection and stuff. And I'm just like, well, like no one's gonna say anything worse than I'd say to myself. <laughs> so like, and like what? And people would just be so like, and people are like, what if they like take it? And like, what if you are you copywriting your stuff? Like what? If, I'm just like, if they do, that's fun. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, if, I couldn't care less about if, that. Yeah, exactly. If a thing I wrote someone takes it and doesn't go with it oh, that's cool like i don't have i never thought it would be money i never thought it would be um you know anything and um i somehow it's like yeah it's like you have to both be like um you have to you, you have to both like believe in a future for yourself and your work that doesn't exist yet and also like um just have no um I don't know, like just no ego about like like it is. I, I, I'm not explaining well, but it's that combination of like, like um, yeah, anyone can do it, and uh, who am I? And also like I can do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think like there's things that I I have specialties, 
And like, it's okay for me to acknowledge that sure. and that it's not ego that I acknowledge that. And yeah. I kind of have to come to terms with that too, because I feel really bad like <laughs> saying I'm That's good at something. It's I hard know. to admit That's like that I'm good too. at anything right. sometimes, but I know there are things that I have, I'm, have sure. specific talents at when it comes to music and audio and stuff like that. And like, that's my own thing, but I never like expect, I never felt entitled to a career or felt entitled to a place in like the canon of, of musical works <laughs> or something like that. Like I, I belong up there with, some, I never thought anything like that. You know what I mean? I just kind of did what I did. Same with the studio. Like I, I started one out of high school, kind of like, I'm going to start a studio now. Right. Battle line. That's the thought that's that went into it. Far, <laughs> right. You do not look before you left. And I think you that like left. the rest comes from, I mean, there's lots of different types of businesses, but with this one, I think that I think a lot came from just my personality is such that like, I want to bring people in and make them feel great about themselves and then send them out better than when they came in yeah. and send them out a better musician than when they came in. And there's something about that imparting that, into the sessions and my just my day-to-day that I think made it work back then and makes it work now when I do it. It's not that I have the best gear. It's not that any of that stuff. It's not that I studied for years at some place and have a degree. It's that like I put like all of my heart into everything I do. Like honestly, completely, you know yeah. what I mean? Like every time I, I, in every single project, I don't phone it in. And like, I, I honestly want everyone, even if it's something I'm not totally into, I want them to come out with the best thing for them and also like be better than yeah you know be yeah. better than when they came in and that's why it's like um it's like a people business more than it is like a yeah absolutely and same with the library right it's like mm-hmm. it's not about like i mean like getting people the books that they need is only important in so far as that it makes them a better person or scratches an itch that they had or mm-hmm. didn't know they had or yeah, helps yeah. them be something um, bigger than they are it is like I do kind of miss that part of obviously I was a librarian like on the desk for a while and like that is touch with kids mm-hmm. like when you get when you put a when you like put a book in their hand that you know is gonna like change their life for the better yeah 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 that's like an awesome moment yeah my my buddy Ian in California he's a librarian and he he just kind of got bumped up above the job where he was doing that yeah he's I know he's gonna miss it because he yeah. was telling me these stories while I was visiting him in California. Yeah. That's where I stayed when I was in California oh, wow. was with him. Um, he's a full-time librarian and like he was just talking about how there are times where you know it's years after he worked with somebody and they wound up getting in touch to tell him yes. that like that time that they well, he helped them study for their like nursing exam and showed them where to get this or that or like yep. how to organize like this information in a way that they can learn and then take a test and pass. Yeah. Like that changed their life. Yeah. Like you know and he's working at a library where there's it's a lot of um, you know people of color or lower income people and stuff like that. And he's just throwing himself into it. And it's like potentially a life-changing moment for somebody, you know, yeah. it's, yeah. that's gotta be, that's gotta be amazing. I had a kid come up to me at the Allentown library and he was like, he was like, I need a book on skateboarding and sharks. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what you're planning kid. Oh, wow. But it's awesome. Yeah. And I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm all I'm about help it. Help you make it happen. <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to mention is, uh, I've been working with the city on some live events. Um, I helped out with Live in the Garden. And the next thing we're doing is called Live in the Greenway on September 17th. Um, there's no bands uh, bands announced for it yet, but there's going to be lots of vendors and art and music. I think uh, as many as three stages up and down the Greenway with basically like the businesses on third and fourth a bunch of people are going to be kind of flipped and just representing themselves in the Greenway to kind of showcase what we have going on there. So just wanted to get that in there. So you've been oh. listening to jazz noises. <laughs> Wait, is that what it's called? Jazz jazz noises. Jazz sounds? Sound. You've been listening to jazz sounds. Man, 
That's your jazz sound. I'm going to listen to jazz sounds with JB and the chain. <laughs> How about JB and the chain? JB and the chain. Live from a smoky back room at Steel Pixel Studio. We're not jazz musicians. <laughs> yes, we are. Wait. Now we are. Take it from the chain. <laughs> That's a wrap, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. We'll be back very soon. Thank you.